So the goal is what exactly? What's the big picture? What, what, are we, what are we trying to do? What are we supposed to be doing? Be happy, go to heaven, uh, love God, please God, avoid sin, get rich, find our soulmate, become famous, live a long time, help others. What, what is it that we're supposed to be doing? What are you trying to do? Many people do not slow down long enough uh, to ask these questions. Have you slowed down long enough to ask, you know, what are essentially the, the biggest questions? What is the goal of my life? So I've started series like this before, sort of going all the way back to the foundations, trying to help you build a foundation, trying to help you think through your foundational assumptions trying to help you build a, a Christian overview and, and to establish a kind of, uh, of solid uh, foundation that allows you to have a, uh, a Christian life that is not uh, subject to too much doubt or to be unraveled by um, hard questions or other things. Um, so I, I'm trying to help you, I'm trying to help me, in essence, build a, an inner world, an inner life, uh, a relationship with God that is strong enough that it shapes our outer world and that we're not so profoundly shaped, that our inner world is not so profoundly shaped by the outer world. So um, all of this is based on my belief, the, the Christian claim that um, an amazing, personal, uh, powerful, holy, wise, creator God made you and me and everything else. And that because of an act of rebellion, um, everything has become broken. Uh, we had free will. We have free will. We can make decisions uh, with that power to make decisions. We can make the wrong decisions. There was acts of rebellion against God. And because of that, everything has been undone. And we are cursed. And we live in a broken world. We are broken people living in a broken world. Lots of things go wrong. But there is a plan back. God has intervened, God has sent his son, there is a path towards uh, not just our salvation, but the salvation of all things, the restoration of plan A, the kingdom of God, and uh, we have an opportunity to be part of that restoration. Now, to be clear, our involvement is not required. God is going to do it, God is perfectly able but we are invited into this big plan. So our specific focus for this upcoming year is going to be on the concept of renewal. It is based on uh, three things. First of all, it is based on Romans chapter 12, verse, uh, well, all of Romans chapter 12, but let me just read the first two verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, Renewal is the theme. It comes out of Romans chapter 12. 
uh, it also comes out of uh, our vision statement. We have said that we want to, uh, to reach people and renew communities, this idea of renewal. We, we went through a reach campaign over the course of the last few years, and we're now headed into a renewal uh, campaign. And the third thing that it's based on, honestly, is just a sense uh, that we need, um, we need a tailwind. We need a breath of fresh air. We need to regroup. We need, um, we, we're tired and we need a clean start. So the plan uh, for the year is threefold. Um, first of all, looking ahead to the spring, what we want to be talking about then is how can we be part of renewing uh, the communities in which we find ourselves? How can we be the hands and feet of God? How can we be the salt uh, and light that we've been called to be? How do we lean more completely into the great commandment and to the great commission, uh, to the mission of uh, the mission that we've been given as people of God? In order for that to happen in the spring, we feel like we have to have been uh, through a, a, a period of renewal as a church. So um, God ordained three institutions, uh, the family, the church, and government. This week, I uh, got a little blowback. So last week, in my Friday update, I was commenting on uh, uh, former Governor uh, Cuomo's resignation address. He was stepping down as governor of New York, and he made the comment that he was getting out of the way uh, because he felt like he was becoming a sideshow, and he had to get out of the way because government was the most important uh, institution uh, in the world, the most important, uh, the most significant driver for all uh, social good. And I said, uh, not, not so fast, uh, the family is. Uh, the family comes before government. And I actually had a comment uh, last week about the church, but I pulled it at the last minute, and I had a number of, of you write and say, wow, I can't believe that you don't say anything about the church. So there are actually three institutions ordained by God for our, you know, for, for governance of our lives and for our well-being. And the first is the family, and then is the church, and then is government. Um, so uh, government is ordained by God, Romans 13, and so we need governments to restrain evil. There's, a, there's, a, there's clearly nobody who's ever been in anarchy ever thinks getting rid of government is a good idea. Many people talk about it. Uh, bad government is better than no government. But uh, church is the driver. We, this is God's idea. This is God's plan. And so during the winter, we're going to be focused on church renewal. And there's sort of a, a yin-yang here between how you renew the church. Well, in order to renew the church, we've got to be renewed. Uh, but in order to be renewed, the church has to be renewed. And so uh, all that to say... In the spring, we're looking at renewal more uh, outside the walls of the church. In the winter, we're looking at renewal of the church. And in the fall, we are going to be looking at personal renewal. So uh, how is it that we are refreshed? How is it that our relationship with Christ is uh, re, um, well, refreshed, repositioned, uh, recharged? How is it that we can become uh, more like Christ, more, uh, more driven and shaped 
by the Holy Spirit, more informed by Scripture. Uh, how is it that we can be renewed? So, um, I'm not sure if you've thought much about renewal in the past, but once you do, pretty quickly you realize <laughs> that we got to figure out where we were supposed to be in order to figure out how to get back there, right? We got to, we got to, we're going to renew. Okay, so what was new? What was it supposed to be? How do we, how do we understand this? Now, in order to do that, that pretty quickly becomes, in order for us to think about our renewal, we pretty quickly have to think about our identity. And so you may have been hearing for the last few years, I have been talking about threatening to do something about uh, a sermon series on our identity. And uh, to be honest, I'm a little embarrassed now that it's happening because identity has become such a trendy topic. And I'm a little too old to be doing all the trendy stuff. Uh, so sometimes people push me and want me to be a little bit more uh, a little bit more trendy. I always threaten at that point that I'll, you know, okay, well, I'll wear skinny jeans and act like I'm 25, whatever. But, of course, wearing skinny jeans now would be a bad thing. I, I'm, I'm at least current enough to know that. But the fact of the matter is, I'm not thinking about, you know, sexual identity. I'm not thinking about identity politics. That's not, when, when I'm talking about a series on identity, that's not where we're going. Instead, I'm thinking about identity a little bit more in the way that uh, John Calvin, one of the, one of the um, magisterial reformers, thought about identity. So in the early pages of Calvin's Institutes, which was, again, it, it, one of the earliest efforts in the English language, that, translated into English, he didn't write it in English, but it, one of the earliest efforts that we got at a systematic theology, at an explanation Calvin wrote the Institutes, turned out to be four books, uh, worked on them throughout the course of his life, kept revising them, of, of what it is systematically, not sort of biblically, not, uh, not book, you know, it's not that systematic theologians are tracing a theme through the Bible, like God, or man, or sin, or salvation, or whatever, you trace the theme through all the books, not Biblical theology is diving down a little bit more deeply into a book. What does Genesis say? What does Romans say? What does Second Peter say? So um, Calvin wrote this systematic theology of sorts. It was not completely that, but it was sort of that and uh, about how to live. And he opens very early by saying, uh, if, if you're going to be a Christian, there's two things you have to, to pursue. There's two things you have to know. The first is God. You have to know God, which only makes sense. I mean, this is, uh, this is classic Jeremiah 9. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the strong man boast in his strength. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let he who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. So the first thing is, Calvin says, that you have to know God. The second thing that he says is that we need to know ourselves. And that's a little surprising. That's a very sort of non-Calvin kind of thing to say. Initially, that's what I thought. Uh, but it's not, because much depends upon our understanding who we really are. 
I mean, for starters, there's, there's, there is a tape that is playing always in the background, uh, a voice, uh, a narrative, there is, a, there is a, a set of assumptions that are shaping how we live. And those assumptions, that voice, may be accurate or it may be very inaccurate. And so if it's inaccurate, it's very unhelpful. And there's also a, a, a significant sense of just prioritization. So I could describe myself and say, what is my identity? Well, I am, uh, I am Sherry's husband. I am Austin, Ben, and Jason's uh, father. I am Hannah's father-in-law. Uh, I am uh, my, my sibling's brother. I am my mom's son. Uh, I am a sinner. I am a saint. I am broken. I am a child of God. I am uh, a 60-year-old male. I am a pastor. I am a neighbor and a boss. Uh, I mean, <laughs> this could go on for a while. I've, I've asked some people thinking about this series uh, how they think about themselves and got lots of answers, lots of the same answers that I've given here. I got lots of other answers. Uh, I'm a failure. I'm an addict. Uh, I'm a teacher. Uh, I'm a doctor. I'm retired. I'm a workaholic. I'm overweight. Uh, I'm gay. I'm a Capricorn. I'm an Enneagram number seven. Some people describe themselves as their golf handicap. Other people didn't say it out loud, but I think they described themselves by their net worth. So there is a sense in which all these things may be true. The question is twofold. One, which matters most? Uh, which understanding of myself should be shaping the way I think about myself? Which of these ideas should I allow to form me? Which of these ideas would only malform me. If I'm going to re rebuild my life, if we're going to be renewed, then there is a sense in which we need to understand what we are to be renewed to. Uh, if I want to reform myself, if I want to reform my thinking, I have to understand what, what the goal is. The second uh, big question here, so the first question is which matters most, the second question is, how do I decide? So, in traditional cultures, your identity was given to you by your family, by society, by the tribe, by, by the people that you were living with. They told you who you were, and they told you what you were going to do. When I was growing up, more of a modern society, uh, we went to college to discover who we were, right? There was a sense in which you would figure out what you were called to, you know, who you would marry, what you were going to do. Uh, your identity would be formed and take some significant steps forward when you went to college. Uh, you had to discover who you were. Today, uh, there's been a whole lot of movement towards what sociologists call expressive individualism, uh, and that is that you look inside yourself to figure out who you are. You've got to be authentic. You, you, you've got to, only you know who you are. Society could be wrong, completely wrong, 
in its uh, description or its understanding of who you are. So this is an idea first sort of that emerges a little bit uh, during the Enlightenment. And then you see it advanced by people like Sigmund Freud and, uh, and Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, Oscar Wilde and others had this very, at the time, radical idea. But it's become very much a mainstream idea today. So how do we figure out who we are? Now, um, as I started pulling this sermon together, and again, I've been sort of thinking about this uh, for a, a couple years casually, I realized I actually have been reading about identity for 40 years. Uh, that was a shocking understanding. But when I was uh, not yet 20, I remember uh, trying to figure out who I was in the sense of Am I a man? What does it mean to be a man? Now, I was asking the question in a very different way than it gets asked today in all the gender identity kinds of discussions. I was just trying to figure out, am I, am I still a boy or am I a man? And how do I decide? And what's the difference? And who can tell me? Uh, what is expected of me if I am a man? So there was, there was sort of that kind of identity reading I was doing. And then there was also this uh, sense in which I got confused because now I've come to faith right about this time and I'm trying to figure out. So everybody's talking about high self-esteem and the importance of high self-esteem and I'm trying to figure out, well, I'm reading all about the values of high self-esteem and I see a lot of those things sound like they're true and at the same time, I'm now reading this Bible and it's telling me that pride is like poison and I need to think, uh, less of myself. So I, I started, I think C.S. Lewis says this, you know, better than most people when he says the goal isn't to think highly of yourself or poorly of yourself. The goal is to think of yourself less. Uh, it, it's to be more concerned with others. But, but I was trying to figure out this whole self-esteem issue. Uh, and that was just the start of it. So um, uh, a while ago I discovered uh, Leslie Stevenson's book came out in the 70s. Um, seven Theories of Human Nature. And uh, in this book, Stevenson, um, who's an Oxford professor, said, look, there's seven very radically different understandings of human nature. So Plato saw our main problem as being the physical world and our physical body, that it pulled down our spirit and our soul. Marx saw the main problems as being economic and economic oppression. We are economic beings. Freud thought our major problem was our unconscious motivations, our repressed desires that were shaping us. Sartre said it was not realizing that we were completely free, and he was advocating sort of that existential freedom. Uh, B.F. Skinner, who said we were a black box, said that we're all determined. We have to understand all the different uh, ways that our, we're, we're shaped by our environment. Uh, Conrad Lorenz was the one who talked about our innate aggressions, um, because of our evolutionary past. Uh, all of these, of course, are coming at who I am by looking at the main problem that I'm facing. Um, Stevenson, again, an Oxford professor uh, and, and Christian, would later uh, add other theories to this, but you, you get the point. The, the, the idea here is we're trying to figure out, in a world that has all kinds of ideas about what it means to be a person, what God thinks it means for us to be a person. 
Uh, it used to be our identity was shaped on our family uh, and our faith. Today, more likely, our identity is being shaped by our race, gender, and sexual preferences. How do we think about ourselves? Our purposes, our identity, our belongings, how do we figure out these things? And so uh, we need to get clear on who I am and who I am supposed to be in order to figure out how we renew ourselves towards that end. So what does God say? Uh, that's what we're going to be taking over the next four weeks. So next week, campus pastors are going to be preaching out of Romans 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. Then we're going to be looking, in Romans again, Romans 12 will be a backdrop for the entire year. So they're going to get us started in Romans 12. Uh, this idea of being not conformed to the patterns of the world, but instead being renewed, uh, being transformed uh, by, by God, by God's word, by, by the Holy Spirit. And um, then we're going to look at the four big truths that God has to say about who we are. We're going to be in Genesis 1 and 2, we're going to be in Genesis 3, we're going to be in Matthew 6, and we're going to be uh, in John 3. So those, I'm going to argue, are the, the biggest, most defining truths about who we are. Um, and then uh, there will be other places that we will start to look. So um, as you read through the Bible, you realize there's lots of places we might go because the Bible is full of renewal stories. Everybody seems to get started. Everybody, people, families, tribes, nations, right? Especially Israel because, of course, they're the main player. We see, you know, spiritual uh, times of growth and then we see uh, decline and sin and destruction and then we see renewal, and getting back on track, uh, realigning ourselves. It's just, just a, it's an ongoing theme. So there were lots of places that uh, we thought about going, and uh, we're going to be basing this, the overview is going to be Paul's letter to the Romans, which he writes uh, towards the end of his life. Uh, Paul, of course, is the famous uh, radical, zealous Pharisee, uh, Jewish young up-and-coming leader who was, who was uh, on fire for Jewish law, and then um, he has this, you know, dramatic conversion to Christ on the road to Damascus. Jesus knocks him down, and Paul uh, realizes that he has been missing God, uh, missing out on who God is and what God was doing. And so he is then going to uh, become uh, in a... <laughs> in an odd sort of sense of identity, Paul, the, the, jealous, the zealous Jew, uh, is, is going to be the one who is going to become the apostle to the Gentiles. So he's going to take the gospel, the good news, the, the wonderful story that we are saved by grace, that God reaches down, that what Jesus does on the cross is sufficient for us to be restored. We can be forgiven of our sins, given new life when we come to, to faith in Christ. Paul, who is all about keeping the law, is going to be all about grace and say the law is there and, and it's from God, but it's, it's one of its primary purposes is to help us understand we're broken, we're not good enough, we need a savior, not just a life coach, uh, not just a teacher. 
And so Paul will be redirected, and then uh, he will start planting churches throughout the Gentile world. And, and he would go into town, he'd talk first to the Jews in the synagogue, and then, then he'd start to talk to the Gentiles as well, and he'd plant churches. And so much of the New Testament is, is comprised of these letters that he would write, because he was, he, was he was not a pastor as much as he was a church planter. So he'd get a church going, and then he'd turn it over to somebody and go do it again. Sometimes he'd, he'd just barely get the church going, and he'd get chased out of town because he's causing riots, he's disrupting everything. But he just kept moving uh, from town to town, starting all these churches. And as he would move on, he was writing letters back to help the leaders or to address problems or whatever. So the letters that we have, the, the New Testament's full of, starts with the, the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then we got the, the book of Acts, the next 30 years in the church. But then we've got all these letters that he is writing. So letters to the Romans, letters to uh, the church in Corinth and Galatia and Philippi. And, and then he writes some letters specifically to people. Uh, writes to Timothy and, you know, Onesimus. And then he will... He will also, there will be other apostles who will be writing. So John's got letters in there. James has got letters in there. Peter's got letters in there. So we read these letters to understand things. So Romans is one of the last letters that Paul writes. And it's written in a specific context. Paul's not been to the church in Rome. So there's a lot of introductory kind of arguments. But it's also because one of the emperors in Rome had kicked all the Jews out of Rome for five years. And so the church in Rome, because the, the gospel spreads quickly, when the church is in Rome, it's very non-Jewish. And then uh, the, the Jews get invited back into Rome, and so you've got these clashes going on between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, and Paul's writing to help them figure that out, and he's writing about God's holiness and our brokenness, he's writing about Jesus, he's writing about how all this pulls things together, and then... Uh, finally, he is, when he gets to the end, he's talking about the kind of life that we should be living. When we get in Romans chapter 12 is near the end uh, of the book. So we're going to be looking at that book throughout the course of the year. So let me just say um, uh, a couple things here. As we, um, as, as there's so much about identity that I'm, I want to talk about, but uh, this is the logo, and I'm just going to highlight this. We'll talk about this at various times. So renewal, initially for your life, later it'll be for our church, and then it'll be for our, our communities. So we have some branches here uh, of the aspen tree, and uh, the aspen tree is, is uh, significant in that um, aspen trees uh, are unique, and they, you never see one aspen tree. They grow in stands. Their roots sort of merge together. And so some of the aspen stands around the world are, the, are among the largest living organisms on the planet. You know, they'll weigh 70 tons and things like that because it's all connected. The DNA of, uh, in a stand is always the same for all of these trees. It's one. It's not a bunch of trees in one sense. It's one tree with a bunch of bunch of trees coming out of this one interconnected root system. And so that's going to talk, uh, as we think about our identity, as we think about our identity in Christ, as we think about that, and all of this is going to change, by the way, um, 
throughout the course of the year, the colors will change and some of the things we'll highlight will change. But we're thinking about trees and renewal and you'll see rings of trees. So, so uh, I wanted to bring that to your attention. Uh, I also wanted you to understand uh, that if you're interested in reading more about this, um, a year or so ago, Carl Truman, who was a church historian, uh, wrote a book that many would say is now you know, the book uh, to read this year, and it is uh, called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And uh, he talks about how we got here, and it's a historical work, but it's a it's sort of a psychological work. It's theological. He's, he's, a, he's a Christ follower. It's not an easy book to read. I don't want to mislead you, but um, there's so much to think about when it comes to the topic of identity. As again, I've, I've sort of been dabbling in this for 40 years. I remember um, lots of people have written about how our identity is shaped by our peers. Right? It's not that I am who I think I am. I am who I think you think I am. My understanding of myself is shaped by my assumptions about how you think about me. Um, there's all kinds of things here. I want to end with this. So the Bible has much to say about the importance of names. Right? And we see this early on when, when somebody changes, like Jacob, God changes their name. Uh, Abram becomes Abraham. Jacob becomes Israel. In the New Testament, uh, Peter well, uh, Peter will be Simon, uh, and then he'll become Peter when, uh, when Christ sort of changes him and, and says, you, you are changed. And then Paul's name changes from Saul to Paul. I mean, lots. Revelation chapter 2, we've got that uh, account we looked at a couple years ago, the white stone, the people who are being persecuted, and he says, you're going to be given a white stone, and the white is significant of blamelessness, but there's a secret name on it. And... Uh, that God is giving you a, a new identity and a secret name. And so um, I think it's just worth noting. In the book of Daniel, so uh, Daniel, this is, this is during the, the exile, right? So Daniel and his three friends uh, are, uh, are taken into captivity, but they're, they're sort of ushered into the king's, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's court, and they're going to go through a three-year training in order to be, you know, groomed for leadership in the in the. Nebuchadnezzar's court. And one of the first things that they do to Daniel and his friends is that they change their names. And so they, they have names. Uh, uh, for instance, Daniel. The E-L at the end of Daniel's name is, is reference back to God. But all the names that they're going to get, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all the names they're going to get are going to be Babylonian names and names that are esteeming Babylonian gods. And uh, so this is going to be true of them, and they're going to try and navigate life in Babylon because it's not their you know, home turf, but how do they do this? But what's significant is, um, uh, is this. So Dan the book of Daniel is written, um, and Daniel's name is, it, it, we continue to have his Hebrew name. Here's the thing. You, you, here's the thing. We cannot always control what others are going to call us. But we can control what we call ourselves. You cannot always control, I cannot control, what others think is true about me or, or the identity others are going to try and give to me.
but I can control my understanding of myself, and I can work to make certain that my identity lines up with who God says that I am. So we're going to be embarking, uh, again, over the next few weeks, on looking at the four big ideas that ought to shape how we think about ourselves as we begin this series. I hope that you are in a, a small group and that if you're not in one, that you'll get in one because we've got a lot of questions, starting with this, for you to talk about in your small group. How do I think about myself? Like, what is my, my self-identity? And, uh, and we'll start to explore this and unpack this in the weeks ahead. Heavenly Father, may our identity be uh, increasingly renewed to be the identity that you have given us. May our understanding of ourselves line up with your understanding of who we are. And may we truly be renewed by you, Spirit of God. Uh, May the Word of God shape our hearts and shape our lives and the steps forward. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.